Well, go ahead and open your Bibles, if you will, to our master text for this teaching this morning in Matthew chapter 7. And as you're getting there, I just want to remind you about the series that we've been on. We've been uh, talking about six crucial beliefs for constructing unshakable faith. So um, building a firm foundation has been the name of this series. And we've just been kind of going back to basics and reminding ourselves of some things that are very fundamental in building and in constructing unshakable faith. And the analogy that I use in the first few teachings is, is that of a, the foundation of a building. You know, if the foundation of a building is faulty, it doesn't stand the test of time. The building above it begins to crumble if the foundation is faulty. And the same thing can happen in our spiritual lives. If, if our spiritual lives are built upon a faulty foundation of doctrinal truth or lack thereof, perhaps, then our walk with Christ from that point forward can be somewhat inhibited, somewhat, um, in some ways, it can um, lead to spiritual shipwreck. So we want to make sure our doctrine is in order. And I know that word doctrine is not a very popular word these days. When you say the word doctrine, sometimes you have to pull out the smelling salts for people. <laughs> Honestly. But one of the reasons why the church is in the situation that it is today at large, I'm not talking about this church in particular, but the church in America is in the shape that it's in today, is because we focus so much on what feels good, on the goosebumps and the butterflies and the inspirational type of stuff. And I'm not against any of that, but if we, if we do just that and no doctrine, we don't have a good foundation for our faith. Okay? So let's read then. In Matthew chapter 7. And if you will, stand with me and let's honor the reading of the Word of God. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. And this is Jesus speaking. And he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, in borrowing from that concept that Jesus talked about in building our houses upon the rock, you know, when you build upon the rock, when you build a solid foundation, you're building below what people can see. The picture you're looking at is a, of a sailboat, of course, a larger vessel. And I want to tell you a little story to set this up. I heard a story one time about two men who were building by hand their own sailboats. And one got through his job really quickly. Um, he spent a lot of time on deck building and beautifying everything above deck. And he was out on the water fairly quickly. And he was out on the water enjoying the ocean and enjoying his sailing experience. And the other guy was still toiling. But he was spending a lot of time below the waterline, things that people could not see, working on the ballast of the boat. That means what balances the boat. 
He just spent so much time working on what was below the waterline that nobody ever even sees. So it took him a long time to build his boat, but eventually he was out on the water enjoying his sailing experiences as well. Well, one day both of them were out on the water and they were both miles away from the shore and suddenly, and without any uh, warning at all, a furious squall kicks up and they were both being swamped by this storm. Well, the one that took longer to build his boat through much strain and effort, he was finally able to get his craft back to the shore where he arrived back safely. However, the other man who uh, got out on the water with his boat much sooner, got his boat and his craft built a lot faster, was never heard from again. Because his boat apparently capsized because the ballast was not built well and it could not withstand the wind and the waves and his boat capsized and nobody ever saw him again. Well, I believe that this happens in our spiritual lives as well. You know, people sometimes move too fast past the basics of the faith before the foundation is firmly set in place. Do you ever know anybody like that? And then as they go on in their, their Christian lives, they make wrong spiritual calculations that cause their vessels to be unbalanced and susceptible to the storms of life. For example, um, what the Bible teaches, and this is just a side note, this is not my teaching this morning, but this is just a little example of what I'm talking about. Um, if people don't know what the Bible teaches about morality, you could easily fall prey to the world's philosophies and make life-altering choices along those lines. Uh, one example <clears throat> is the research conducted on cohabitation prior to marriage. Study after study, folks, has shown that couples that live together prior to marriage have a much higher rate of divorce compared to people who waited to, to move in together after they got married. In fact, one study showed that the divorce rate doubled among those who lived together prior to marriage. Did you know that? So you see, people who don't have a solid foundation of biblical truth or if they simply ignore what they know and what they've been taught, they're much more likely to make critical mistakes that will likely cost them dearly in life later on. All right. So then, with that said, if you focus only on what people can see, in other words, you just focus on the spiritual parts of your life that people can see and appreciate, and you don't build below the waterline, you put a low priority on building below the waterline, you will be in danger of spiritual shipwreck and cost yourself dearly in certain respects of your life. So that's the introduction for where I'm going with this teaching. So now let's get back to the Hebrews chapter 6 passage that we've been looking at for these last several teachings that is the foundation for this series. So once again, Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, or another version says maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, I've highlighted that because that's what we're covering today, of laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. These are the six crucial 
and foundational principles that the writer of Hebrews says that we need to master in order to go on to perfection or to maturity. So some of these things, a lot of pastors don't even talk about. As a matter of fact, um, I've never talked about the doctrine of baptisms before. So this is my first time teaching on this. So be praying for me because uh, this is a first time for me too. But I want you to notice that the word baptisms is plural. It's not referring to one specific baptism, but several. And if we compare that to Ephesians 4, 5, where the Apostle Paul writes that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, it may look like the Scripture is contradicting itself, but I want to assure you there's no contradiction here. Um, what the Apostle Paul wrote in the, in, to the Ephesians is referring to salvation or the divine transaction that occurs at the moment of salvation. And I'll talk more about that in a moment as the teaching unfolds. But we need to understand that there are two additional baptisms that God has designed for every believer to experience. And uh, these are foundational to our faith and growing in the Lord as well. Now let me define, as we get rolling with this, the term baptism, which really in its original usage means to dip and die. All right, so that word baptism in the English comes from the Greek word baptizo, and it means to wash and to dip and to be fully immersed by someone or something. So the oldest historical usage of the word baptizo described what a person did when he wanted to change the color of a garment. So that person would dip the garment into a vat of dye and leave it there long enough for that garment to be fully immersed and saturated in the new color, making it look completely different than it did before. Uh, so again, that's the original usage of that word baptizo. And this is what happens to us spiritually, by the way, when we come to Christ. In that moment of salvation, when we repented and received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we were instantly dipped and saturated in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, baptizo. As a result, we are nothing like what we were before. We were dipped and died in the blood of Jesus when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what baptizo in that, that context means. Now, before we go on to discuss um, these three baptisms that we're about to discuss today, um, speaking of the doctrine of baptisms, we have to first understand the three elements of baptism. And this is just really basic stuff. First, there must be a baptizer or someone performing the baptizing. Secondly, there must be a person who is being baptized, of course. And third, there must be a substance into which the person is being baptized. And I know that sounds very elementary and yeah, it is. But we have to understand these three elements of baptism before we can understand um, the doctrine of baptisms, all right? All right, so let's jump into this. The first baptism, this is in your notes. You can fill in the blank here. Uh, the first baptism is performed by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you some doctrinal basis for where we're going with this. Ephesians 4, 3, and 5 says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, it says, For by one Spirit all are baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink 
into one spirit. All right, so this first baptism occurs in the life of every Christian the moment he or she comes to Christ. So this initial baptism is performed by the Holy Spirit and causes a person to be immersed, baptizo, in Christ and uh, instantly translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. Yeah, hallelujah. This initial baptism, by the way, does not require you to do anything except for repent and turn to Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit does the rest, all right? So when we do that, then faster than you can blink an eye, the Holy Spirit baptizes you or immerses you into Christ. So that's the first baptism that the Bible talks about. But the second one is a lot more familiar to you. That's water baptism. This is performed by people. So let's give some doctrinal or some scriptural basis for this. Matthew 28, 19, this is Jesus speaking. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then Romans 6, 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That burial that it's talking about is a symbolic act of water baptism. That's what that's referring to. All right. So then water baptism is the symbolic act of burying the old man or the old person and then being resurrected or raised to new life in Christ. And this second baptism can occur at any time, by the way, after salvation. It's usually performed by a spiritual leader, although any person, any believer can perform a baptism. And by the way, if you were water baptized at any time before you repented of your sins, like if you were baptized as a child, as an example... If you were baptized at any time before you repented of your sins and came to faith in Jesus Christ with a full knowledge of what you were doing and the significance of it, that doesn't really count. Okay? Because it's, it's an act of obedience after you come to faith. Jesus said that we are baptized in response to our faith. So it's often been said that baptism is an outward expression of an inner change. And I think that's a good way to say it. So it's an outward expression of an inner change. Now, most of the modern church considers baptism a symbolic act, and yes, it is, but it's also one of great power if you do it in faith. See, I've seen people get baptized and then come up out of the water immediately speaking in tongues. And they've never done that before. I've also seen people manifest demons prior to going into the water, into the waters of baptism, because apparently the demons they were carrying didn't want to be baptized. And then when they got dunked, those demonic powers vanished. I've seen that sort of thing. Now, while a person doesn't have to be water baptized to be saved, he or she does have to be baptized in order to be obedient, because Jesus commanded this. So some people come to Christ and then skip over baptism from time to time. That happens because they hear that, well, baptism isn't required for salvation, so they just kind of skip over that. And then they really struggle in other areas of their lives. And that makes sense because if they start off skipping the very first commandment 
of Jesus for the new believer, then it makes sense that they're going to struggle in other areas of obedience as well. You want to start out in obedience, okay? So in the early church, um, the first century church, although water baptism was not essential for salvation, it was considered essential in order to live as a serious disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why in the book of Acts, from beginning to end, we see a pattern. That people were water baptized immediately after they were saved. And I could give you many references on that point, but for the sake of time, we're going to move on to the third type of baptism, which I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this morning. So the third kind of baptism is performed by Jesus, and uh, the scriptural reference for that is Matthew 3.11. And uh, it says, indeed, uh, I indeed baptize you with water. This is John the Baptist speaking. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. All right. Now, for the remainder of the time together, we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I got to level with you about something on this subject. In my 11 and a half years as a pastor, I have never taught on this subject. I've never wanted to. Okay? But if we're going to cover the full counsel of the Word of God, we've got to cover this. And it's in our master text, the doctrine of baptisms. So I have to cover this. So again, in my 11 years as a pastor, I've, I've never covered this, never wanted to cover it. And I guess that's due to several reasons. I'm just going to be really transparent with you this morning, if I may. The first reason I've never wanted to cover it is because it's always been a little intellectually troubling for me. Can I be that transparent with you about that? I was never able to really fully wrap my mind around this concept. And I hope that admission brings some of you some comfort because I know that many other Christians struggle with that same thing. Being just a little bit in the dark, intellectually troubled with that whole concept of speaking in tongues, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, another reason why I've never really wanted to cover this topic is because I've seen abuses, many abuses of tongues coming up in the Pentecostal and charismatic background that I came up in. And these are the same kind of abuses that the Apostle Paul addressed in the Corinthian church. Because they were treating tongues as some sort of spiritual badge of honor or something. Or some sort of uh, sign that they were more spiritually in tune with God or more spiritually mature than other people who didn't have these gifts. And so they were abusing and misusing and misapplying the gift of tongues. And so Paul corrected that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And and because of those abuses that I too have experienced and seen, I actually really had a disdain for this practice for many years. And at one time, I'm just getting really transparent with you today, at one time I actually set out to write a book refuting all that. But I, I got a few weeks into that project, this was many years ago, I got a few weeks into that project and because I couldn't disprove it, with scripture or with history, I was forced into to a situation where I just had to admit that if I couldn't disprove it, and I consider myself a pretty studious person, I, went, I got into this thing for weeks and I couldn't disprove it. 
And if I couldn't disprove it, and the Bible encourages this practice, then I was forced to accept it. Thirdly, another reason why I've been trepidatious about preaching and teaching on this is because I've doubted my own experiences along these lines. Probably, again, because I was trying to understand it with my puny intellect. See, today I do pray in tongues, and I myself have legitimately had that experience, and I've accepted that this is a legitimate experience for the New Testament believer. But my experience is a little bit different than some of the people that I know who have had this experience as well. See, I didn't have an ecstatic goosebump experience like some people seem to have, and God didn't reach down and start moving my mouth and force me to speak in tongues. None of that sort of thing happened. I didn't have an angelic experience. The, the, the sky didn't roll back and I didn't see a chorus of angels or anything like that. It was just a very unemotional experience for me. My prayer language, speaking in tongues, um, developed one syllable, one word, and one phrase at a time over a long period of time until now I can pray in tongues for long stretches of time. So because my experience seems to be so much different than many other people's experience, I think that maybe I've analyzed this a little bit too much and maybe thought that this is just learned behavior rather than just a, a legitimate experience. So sometimes, again, I've rationalized way too much rather than just operating in faith when it comes to tongues. See, after all, everything that we do in the kingdom is supposed to be done by faith. That's how Romans 11.6 says that we are to please God by faith, right? By faith. Finally, my, my last reason for not wanting to preach on this um, is because it always seemed to me, now I'm getting just super transparent with you, don't need anybody to get mad at me. It always seemed to me in the circles in which I grew up that the people who were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues were just a little weird. <laughs> I just, to be, just to be honest with you, in fact, can I get really even more transparent with you for a moment and give you an admission of sin? Okay, the Bible says in the book of James to confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. I'm about to make a confession. All right, here it is. I've been guilty of looking at many people over the years who speak in tongues as intellectually below me and who just did this to get attention or to prove their spiritual superiority. Yeah, I know, that's an ugly confession, but it's true. Now look, that's just a manifestation of pride. That's all that is. I don't understand something with my puny intellect. Oh, those people must be intellectually below me. That's pride. And I want to tell you something. The Bible tells us that God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I want to say that again. God chooses on purpose the foolish things of this world to confound those who think they're so smart. All right? So many people look at tongues as very foolish. And I did for a long time in my life. So I admit that I've been a little embarrassed about this subject, which is why I haven't talked on it more. 
But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to tackle this thing today. And I'm believing that the Holy Spirit is going to give us all more revelation on this topic. Would that be okay? Yes. All right. So then, um, I feel like as I look at the screen over here, I'm getting baptized in the Spirit all over again. I just, I'm feeling a little weak in the knees as I look at this screen wobble over here. I'm not, not sure what that's all about. So uh, if you see me go out on, under the power, it's, anyway, sorry. Okay. Um, what is required to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's simply hunger, a spiritual hunger, and faith. That's the only two things that are required. The hunger after more of the things of God and faith. Those are the only two things that are required. Number two, the result of, being, uh, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is supernatural ability, things that you were not able to do before. And who performs it? Who performs the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's Jesus. The scripture in Matthew 3.11 says that it's Jesus that does this. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So in Acts 1.5, it says, For John, and this is quoting Jesus here, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's talking to the disciples. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what was prophesied here in Acts 1-5 by Jesus can, uh, actually occurred on the day of Pentecost when 120 disciples assembled in the upper room where they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with new tongues. And by the way, these particular tongues were not gibberish that no one can understand. As a matter of fact, on the day of Pentecost, there was all kinds of faithful Jews that assembled uh, on Jerusalem from other regions. They came there to celebrate Pentecost. And there was at least, if I remember correctly, something like a couple of a couple of dozen different dialects that were present that day. And when these believers in the upper room began speaking in tongues, it may have sounded like gibberish to them, but the people outside hearing this were all hearing it in their own native dialects. And they heard them praising and extolling the works of God. Because they couldn't explain that, that they were not able to wrap their mind around that. They said, oh, they must be drinking. They must be drunk. But one person said, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They can't be drunk. So this was prophesied in Acts 1-5 by Jesus. And I want you to understand that this second, uh, or actually third, baptism is not a requirement for salvation. However, it is necessary for walking in a new dimension of power. Well, what kind of power are we talking about then? Well, let me first qualify that I've known many wonderful Christian people over the years who have not experienced this third baptism, mostly because they were never taught that it was available or even necessary. And many of those people are devout in their faith, they're, uh, they're uh, living pure lives, they know their Bibles, and many are even great soul winners. So what kind of power would we be talking about then? Well, let me also tell you that I've never met a single person who operates in the gifts of the Spirit like prophecy or the seer anointing, you know, words of knowledge or the gift of healing who wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit. So in order to operate on this next level, if you will, 
of operating in the supernatural, being baptized in the Holy Spirit appears to be a prerequisite for those things. Now, if someone does operate in those other areas of the supernatural without being baptized in the Holy Spirit, I've never met any of them. Maybe they are out there, but I've been walking with the Lord almost 30 years now, and I've never met one person. I'm I'm not saying that I've not met many wonderful Christian people who are passionate lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ, know their word, and are great soul winners who were not baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've met plenty of those. I've just personally never met anyone who operated in the prophetic or in the seer anointing or in gifts of healing that wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's my experience. So even though this third baptism isn't necessary for salvation, when you study the New Testament, you never see anyone who said to a new convert, well, it would be good for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you don't really have to be. You never see that. Okay? The early Christians knew that if, a new believer were, uh, that if new believers were going to walk in power and have victory over sin, they had to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And just like the pattern that we see in the book of Acts regarding water baptism, where believers got saved and then shortly thereafter they were water baptized, we see a, a very similar thing happening with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, many times believers were baptized in the Holy Spirit before they even had a chance to be water baptized because it happened almost immediately after they made a profession of faith and got saved. Okay? Now, once again, I realize that for some of you in this room and for many people in our church culture today, this is an intellectually uncomfortable subject as it has been for me over the years and many years of my Christian walk. But I do want to tell you one thing. You know, I'm a science geek. I love science. And I did see a study one time where they actually did brain scans of people who were speaking in tongues. And all these different regions of the brain just lit up while these people were speaking in tongues, especially the creative parts. Just lit up. And so when I saw that, I went, wow, that's, that's scientific validation for what the Bible talks about. That's pretty cool. So that helped me a little bit. You know, God's not obligated to, uh, you know, give a nod to our puny little intellects, but he said, okay, Andy, you're overthinking this thing way too much, so here's a little study for you. It'll help you a little bit. I went, ah, that's awesome. Thank you, Lord. But let me explain a few other things that may help you along these lines. So first of all, the Bible talks about the fact that there are various tongues, there's more than one. That's in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, various tongues. So let me give you, um, just walk you through two different kinds of tongues that we see in Scripture. The first one is a, what we call now a prayer language. That term's not in the Bible, but we call it a prayer language because we, we pray in tongues. Okay, So that appears to be available to anyone, and it's usually for private use. And by the way, you see that talked about in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you read that whole passage in 1 Corinthians 14, you'll see that type of tongues, that private use of tongues uh, talked about by the Apostle Paul. And then there's tongues and interpretation of tongues. And this is specifically for public use within a church gathering. And it appears to be a special gifting for certain people. And you see that talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 
Now, the Apostle Paul said that he wished that all, not some, that all of the Corinthians would speak in tongues. Do you remember him saying that? Okay. But let me qualify that. He also went on to say that even more he wished that all of them would prophesy. Because prophecy is beneficial to the whole congregation, whereas he went on to say that speaking in tongues builds ourselves up. So it appears that a prayer language or or praying in tongues is available to everyone, whereas the gift of tongues and interpretations of tongues is a special revelation for use in the church and is a special gift to certain people. Now, um, having said that, you know, I never have considered myself having that gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Um, But on occasion... I have been used over the years in, in giving a tongue and also interpreting tongues. And that's not something that happens to me a lot, as a, ma- as a matter of fact, very, very rarely. But when the need presented itself, you see, I just yielded and God used me in that way. So even though I don't think I have a gift necessarily in that way that operates all the time, when the need presents itself, God can use anybody. Anybody who's yielded, God can use anybody along those lines. So I think that even that gift is available to everyone at certain times when the need presents itself. So I'm going to give you my ABCs of the baptism of the Holy Spirit just to help you to understand this a little better and kind of put your minds at ease for those of you that may have a little level of discomfort with this. Uh, I think some of this will uh, encourage you a little bit and, and help to clarify any confusion on this. First of all, you receive it just like you receive anything in the kingdom, like you receive salvation by faith. Everything that we receive in the kingdom is received by faith. Okay, I remember a story about Keith Moore. <laughs> um, Keith Moore is a pastor in Florida, or not Florida. Well, yeah, he does have a church in Florida now. He's got a satellite church in Florida, but he originated in, in uh, Branson, Missouri. And he told a story about he was just seeking the Lord for the longest time about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it just wasn't happening. And years went by, and he just was not able to receive. He said that sometimes he would close down the, the church building, the church service would be over. He would still be up here on the altar praying. His poor wife, Phyllis, would be up in the seats just waiting on him. And the janitor would be ready to lock up, and he'd still be down there praying, just, just bombarding heaven. Lord, give me the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. Well, this went on for a long time until it dawned on him, you know what, I just... I don't have to like wrestle heaven down to get this. I just receive it by faith. And when he got a revelation of that, bam, it happened. So this is not something you have to really wrestle for. You receive it by faith, whether or not there's an emotional experience attached to it or not. Secondly, it may or may not be an ecstatic or emotional goosebumpy experience. Now, I know many people that have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that received it just like that. It was goosebumpy, butterflies. It was, you know, the seemed like there was a chorus of angels when it happened. And, and maybe their knees buckled and got weak and maybe they fell on the floor or something. I know many people, people that's happened to, but I know other people like myself, it didn't happen that way. It did not happen that way. So don't try to box God in to what you think this is going to look like. Okay. 
Thirdly, you just simply cooperate with the Spirit's unction. And this is where, for people like myself and many of you in the room may also be like this, sometimes we let our intellect get in the way. Now listen, God's not against you using your intellect. God gave you a brain for a reason. God didn't expect you to check your brains at the door and, and, and expect you to come into a church meeting and just have no critical thinking whatsoever. God's not like that. God wants you to use your brain. However, having said that, sometimes our intellects can get in the way of the things of God because the things of God supersede our intellects. Does that make sense? The things of God supersede our intellects. That's why Jesus just did weird things sometimes that, you know, he spit on the ground and made spittle, made a little mud with a spit and mud and smeared it on a guy's eyes before he healed him. I think he does that sort of thing on purpose. It's like, I'm not going to be boxed in to your little intellectual idea of how I'm supposed to operate. I'm God. I'll do it the way I want. So don't box God in. Just cooperate with the Spirit's unction. And when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when you pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, listen, when you pray for that, the Bible says that, will you ask a good father for a piece of bread and he gives you a stone instead? When you ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he wants to give that to you. So just receive it by faith, whether or not there's an emotion attached to it, and then begin to exercise it. If you hear a, a, a syllable or a word or a phrase in your mind, in your heart, that doesn't sound like English, that's probably the unction of the Holy Spirit. And you can rationalize that away as, oh, that's just my imagination. But that may be the Holy Spirit's unction, and you just speak that out and begin exercising that, and more will come. And it may or may not have an emotion attached to it. And many people will say, oh, that's just you just like speaking gibberish and you're just making that up. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe you're following the Holy Spirit's unction. God operates like that. He will on purpose, listen to me, he will on purpose violate your intellect on purpose. To let you know that he's God and you're not. Okay? Fourthly, uh, your prayer language may or may, may not come all at once. It may or may not come all at once. I know people who they ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit and bam, they could speak in tongues for long periods of time. It was just bam. But I know other people, me being one of them, that this developed very slowly over time. And the fifth ABC of the Holy Spirit, which I think will help some of you that are, are wired a little bit more like me and have, who have had trouble understanding this, is that speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a badge of spiritual maturity. It's a gift of the Spirit and cannot be earned by your good behavior. So see, I, I've seen many people over the years who, who speak in tongues... And they think because that has elevated them to a higher spiritual plane and it's, it's some sort of reward for their virtue that they don't have to be students of the Bible. They don't have to, you know, pray, pray for long periods of time or whatever. They, they, they kind of they hang their hats, if you will, 
on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they see themselves as mature because they have that, yet they're totally ignorant in the Word of God and make horrible decisions, even though they've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's designed to all work together, folks. It's all designed to work together. So it is not a badge of spiritual maturity. So I, th- I hope that's comforting to you, those that, of you that don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet. I've known many people that don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit who are very mature believers, who are very godly people. And I know people that do have the baptism of the Holy Spirit that are very spiritually mature. So for that reason right there, that's another reason why I guess I've struggled with this concept over the years. Because I've seen some people, not all, but I've seen some people who claim to speak in tongues, but the decisions they make in their lives is like, what are you thinking? They're very spiritually immature. So because I've seen people like that over the years, this... this, um, This has just been a sticking point for me. But I also want you to know that um, I think that this, like any other spiritual discipline, has to be exercised. It has to be exercised. Just like prayer or reading the word or going to church. These are spiritual disciplines that have to be exercised. See, every believer has access to all these things. We should be using all of them. But if you don't exercise it, you won't benefit from it much. See, I know that I never really benefited much from speaking in tongues over the years, even though I did receive my prayer language many years ago. But even after that experience, I still struggled intellectually with it. Like, oh, is that really my imagination? Or is this really the unction of the Holy Spirit? You know, so because I still struggled intellectually with it, I didn't exercise it much. So it's only been recently where I've really been cranking up uh, my praying in tongues. And it's only recently that I really have noticed that I've benefited from it in various aspects. Uh, Some of you have commented how you really appreciate the the words of knowledge that have come out. I've operated a little bit in that seer anointing very recently. I attribute that specifically to me praying in tongues for long periods of time every day. Because I've I've never operated in those kind of gifts prior to recently until I started exercising that. Okay? Okay. So I think you can look at it this way, folks. The various tools that God has provided for us for our spiritual enrichment are like the cylinders of an engine. Listen to this. If you have a six-cylinder engine and one of those cylinders stops functioning, the engine will still run, but the performance will be a little bit weaker. Does that make sense? And I think that's how our spiritual lives work. If you excel in prayer and in the study of the scriptures as an example, but you never fast, well... You can still function as a believer and make it to heaven like that, but there will be an element of your spiritual life that's missing. And you won't function in the fullness of what God has in mind for you. And the same is true with tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, you can get by without this, but the fullness of the power of God may not be manifest in your life without it. Does that make sense? All right. I'm, I'm getting ready to wrap this up here, and we're going to have a couple of, uh, of testimonies here in a minute. 
because I want you to hear, hear from some other people about this. But let's talk about the uses of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because I asked a pastor friend of mine, because I just was not able to wrap my mind around this. And I, I asked my pastor friend, why tongues? Why? I mean, this just seems so bizarre to me. Why tongues? And here's the answer to that question that I've discovered. I don't know. Who are we to question God's ways? Remember, God on purpose will violate your intellect. God on purpose uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That's the answer to that question. The only one I've been able to come up with anyway. But let's talk about some uses. Why does God ordain this? Well, first of all, it's an enhancement of spiritual power. I'm going to give you some scriptural evidence of that. 1 Corinthians 14.4 Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies or strengthens himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So if there's prophecy, that's supposed to edify the body, but speaking in a tongue or praying in a tongue edifies yourself. Jude 1.20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, it's referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with new tongues, um, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. There it is. You build yourself up in your most holy faith when you do that. The second use of tongues that God has in mind is an enhancement in prayer. Romans 8.26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. What weakness is it talking about? When we don't know what to pray for. When we're in such distress, such turmoil, we don't even know in English what to pray for. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with inexpressible groanings. Has anybody in the room, has that ever happened to you? You've ever been, you've ever been in distress? It's been a, just a tumultuous situation and you're in distress. And this has happened to me. This is how I know in my life this is legitimate. Because in times of, of distress, and I don't even know what to pray for in English, just reflexively up out of me, out of my mouth, I just start just instinctively, without even thinking about it, I'll pray in tongues. And that's, that's the, I guess for me, the legitimacy of this experience in my life, that it's, it's down there somewhere. And in times of distress, it makes itself out of my mouth, whether, I, whether I'm trying to make it happen or not. So that's what he's talking about here. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Ah, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What's that mean? It means when you don't know what to pray for, when you're prayers in English fall short, you can begin praying in tongues and the Holy Spirit prays the perfect prayer for that situation. That's what that means. Hallelujah. And you don't even know what you're saying, but the, the, the Spirit is praying through you. Okay, 
Before we get to our testimonies, I, I want to talk just briefly here about a book that I read many years ago by Jack Hayford called The Beauty of Spiritual Language. Now, how many of you in the room know that name, Jack Hayford? Okay, several of you. Great. He's a pastor out in California. Jack Hayford is a very cerebral person. He's very dry in his presentation. I thought I was dry in my presentation till I heard Jack Hayford. Then I felt a little bit better about my presentation style. But he's a very smart guy. He's a super smart guy, but very cerebral, very dry. But yet he prays and speaks in tongues and has been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he wrote a book called The Beauty of Spiritual Language. I'll never forget a story I read in that book about him being on a, an airplane one day, sitting next to a person that he struck up a conversation with. And as they were talking, he learned that this person that he was sitting next to was trained in many ancient languages. I don't know what his line of work was, a linguist or something. I don't know what his line of work was. But he learned that this person he was sitting next to was trained in ancient languages. And he felt like the Holy Spirit said to him, speak to him in tongues. And he went, what? What? I mean, even for Jack Hayford, I mean, that was stretching him. And, and it's like, wow, that's really awkward. Uh, I don't know, Lord. Um, but then he got an idea, and I think this was Holy Spirit inspired. And he told this man, he said, you know, I know a few words in an ancient language. I don't know what language it is, and I don't know what these words mean. Can I speak them to you and see if they mean anything to you? He said, sure. And so he began just speaking in tongues. Just as the Spirit gave him unction, he just began speaking in tongues to this man. Just for a few brief moments. And the man stopped, and he looked at him, and he said, where did you learn that language? That language has been extinct for centuries. And then he, he said, um, well, I don't know. Actually, I have to admit to you, I was just speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit of God was giving me the words to speak to you. And those were unlearned. That was just an unction from the Holy Spirit. He said, what did I say? He said, you were saying something about exalting the, the great works of God and the love of God, something along those lines. So, so he was able to minister deeply to that man, but the, but the Lord also gave him a really, really important lesson that when we speak in tongues, it's not just gibberish. Sometimes it's a true language of the world, either a modern language or one that's been extinct. Or it could be a language of heaven that no man has ever heard or spoken. So it was a really good lesson for Jack Hayford as well. On that note, I want to give some testimonies here. I have two people that um, I, I want to bring up here to give their testimonies. I, I want you to know how it happened with them because our stories are all a little bit different. But I first want to start out with a, a recorded testimony. I have a, a good friend named Tracy McIntyre. He's a pastor out in Elizabethtown. And he's the pastor that I came up under. And I was greatly influenced by Pastor Tracy. And, and I really grew up in his ministry. And, and um, he and I are still very good friends. So if you see any quirks in me or any, anything in, in my style that annoys you, blame Pastor Tracy. But anyway, I, I want you to hear his story. He's got a, I, I, I called him and I said, hey, I'm going to be speaking on the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the first time in my pastoral career. And I seem to remember you have a really interesting testimony on this. Would you mind sharing it? 
He said, sure. So he just recorded it on his cell phone. It's about four minutes long. So uh, Doug, when you're ready, go ahead and fire that up. This is Tracy McIntyre, and I'm sharing my baptism in the Holy Spirit story with evidence of speaking in other tongues. This story happens circa 1973, give or take a little bit. I was probably about uh, 11 years old, again, give or take a year or two. And uh, I went to Rugby United Brethren Church, which was a non-charismatic church, non-Pentecostal church, probably very similar to what a Methodist church would be like. We were having a revival service, and the revivalist asked us at the end of the service to please all come and gather around the altar, which is probably only 20 people or 25. And so we gathered around the altar and had a closing time of prayer. And there was a lady beside me. Her name was Betty Wright. She'd gone on to be with Jesus now, but she was beside me. And she was praying in a language I didn't know. But one word I remember her saying was amor, uh, which is interesting because I got older. I found out that in many languages, the word amor, a variation of that, means love. Now, Betty was a wonderful lady. She was not unintelligent at all, but she was not an educated person. It wasn't like she was multilingual or, you know, had done a lot of studies or anything. She was just a, a good gal who was raised in Kentucky. And um, as I pursued the information about what she was saying with my mother, my mother said, oh, yeah, Betty was raised in Kentucky and she was raised in, in a Pentecostal church. Because I asked my parents, what was that that she was doing? I wasn't familiar with that. And so he said, yeah, she was speaking in tongues, which I'd never heard of that before in my life. I didn't know what it was. The good news was our church didn't give me a context for or against it. So I wasn't raised that you have to do this or you have to hate that. So I was kind of free to explore it on my own. But I do remember that my heart was drawn to that when she was praying in what I now know in tongues or in the spirit. Uh, I was drawn towards that. There's something beautiful about it. And so I went to bed that night, and, and it wasn't my custom, but I knelt beside my bed, and I began to pray. And I said, Lord, I said, whatever that was that you did in Betty, whatever it is that she could do, I asked that you would give that to me. And when I got done saying the prayer, I opened up my mouth and prayed, and I prayed in tongues for probably a minute or two. And then I stopped and went to bed and went to sleep. There was uh, nothing emotional about it. There was, there was no ecstatic experience I don't doubt people have had those. If, if I trust someone and believe that they're not a liar and they tell me that they felt like warm honey came over their body or, or they were engulfed in liquid love or electricity shot through them or whatever, I, I mean, I'll believe it. You've heard all the stories, too, again, if the person's trustworthy. But I had none of that. It was absolutely zero emotion to it. I just asked for it, opened my mouth, prayed in the spirit, went to sleep, woke up the next morning and thought, hmm, that was odd. And I had no context for it in my life. I didn't go to a church that even taught about that. Well, a few years later, I had a buddy whose father pastored a charismatic church. And so I'd visit church with him and I would, I would say, okay, I get it now. And I remember thinking at first, ah, that's what happened to me. I didn't understand that. But after I understood it, I began to give place for it in my prayer life to pray in the spirit or pray in tongues. And I, I wonder how many more people might pray in tongues if they would simply ask and just open up their mouth and pray in faith and not wait for a voice to jump out of them or wait for an emotion or a feeling or, or lightning bolts or uh, some kind of ecstatic experience. I don't know. But that's my story. And if you have any other questions about it, you can contact me and I'll bring clarity to it. 
Now, one of the things that strikes me about Tracy's story is that, you know, Tracy was a very bold soul winner from that point forward, even as a, a person in high school. So it, it did give him a boldness. But you could say legitimately, okay, he was only 11 years old, so maybe he just, you know, manufactured this thing somehow because he wanted, wanted it to happen. That's why I wanted to give you a couple of other experiences from people in our congregation as well, who I consider to be very intelligent and not not people that are given to emotion. So, um, uh, Julie, why, why don't we start with you? Ladies first. So come on up. I wanna, want you to share your, your story here real quick. Um, I was, one thing I was going to say was, praise God for this message today. That was exactly what Mark and I would have been looking for when we were searching and trying to understand this. But one of the things that uh, we learned on our journey is that the truth can set you free. Amen? And so I was raised in a Southern Baptist home, a mainstream church, which is in some ways similar to the mainstream media. They're telling you things that are not true. So, you know, that they, they don't believe what the Word says. They believe what tradition has taught them. So, anyway, I even grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right down the street from Oral Roberts University. And I worked at a clothing store, and I had all these people from Oral Roberts come in and talk to me. And they tell me about speaking in tongues and baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was like, I talked to my parents who were extremely active in our church. And my dad was always a deacon and super active. And I mean, they just totally believed it was not correct. It was not godly. It was not for today. So it made me very skeptical about it. So anyway, as Mark and I were going to a mainstream church here in Columbus, um, we had a couple of experiences where we thought, there's got to be more to this than what, what's going on here. So we really started having a hunger, like Pastor Andy talks about, for, for understanding the deeper gifts. So we, on our journey, we ended up going, we ended up in a crossroads, is what I'm going to say. And we went to a church, and they had a visitor, which we've had at our church at times. His name's Greg Jackson. And he prayed over people that had never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit one time when he was there visiting and ministering to us. And Mark and I went up and we received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I will tell you that it was one of those things. Um, there's a couple verses that talk about this. Um, Mark and I were tired of just playing church is what I had mentioned earlier. We wanted to see victory in every area of our lives. And God wants that for all of us. We were in search of the supernatural power it takes to overcome this life, as we all are. Um, okay, so we prayed to receive. God wants, to, wants us to walk in supernatural power. His word says, ask and believe and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. All we have to do is ask, believe, and receive. Luke 11, uh, 10 through 13 compares our heavenly father to an earthly father. And it says, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So he says, you know, that um, we had to work through a lot of, you know, wrong teaching and that sort of thing. So it was challenging for me, but I did start, I mean, the truth is just like walking, you have to step out. 
You have to move. You have to learn. So speaking in tongues, you have to open your mouth and you have to make noise. You know, and that was something that was very challenging for me because I thought, oh, is this real? Is this? But it is real. It is real. If you ask, God gives it to you. He says he does. He promises to. So when you've asked, if you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have this gift. You have the gift of speaking in tongues. It's one of the manifestations of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So open your mouth and speak out. I can tell you when I've laid hands on people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a lot of times they say to me, could you just pray with me? I don't know what it's supposed to sound like. I don't know what you're supposed to do. You know, and that's, sometimes that's part of it, just praying with someone else that prays in tongues. You can hear them. You're like, oh, you know, I mean, it is a matter of opening your mouth and put, letting the noise come out. So it's not just, um, you know, that you're going to go, and all of a sudden it starts shooting out of your mouth. That isn't going to happen. So um, God's word says in Mark eleven twenty four, whatsoever things you desire, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So there's another promise from the word of God. If you want this, that's where the power is. I will be honest with you. We have seen so much more power in our lives. And there's a peace that's supernatural when you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how you can just rest in what God's word says. Um, it's a survival tool is what I call it. Because, you know, when life's hard and exactly what Pastor Andy talked about, when you don't know what to pray or someone tells you of a crisis going on and you don't know all the details and you can pray in the spirit, what a blessing. That's my favorite thing about praying in tongues is that you can pray for someone when you don't know any of the details and your Holy Spirit, uh, your spirit communes with the Holy Spirit and it all gets taken care of. Praise God. And you see supernatural things. I mean, we've even had that in our women's Bible study where we prayed for Lori after she had the baby and we didn't know what kind of details we were going to be up against. But there were some issues, and when we prayed in tongues, God worked it all out. Hallelujah. I mean, what a blessing. So you don't have to know every detail when you pray in tongues because God, the Lord, and, your, and the Holy Spirit knows, and your spirit communes. Uh, you know, I love that the Holy Spirit can warn you about things. He shows you things to come. That's straight from Scripture. And even shows you the best parking space. I mean, you can seek the Lord for everything. I mean, when you've got two minutes to get in a meeting and you need a parking space, you can go, Lord God, and you pray in tongues all the way there. It's amazing. I always get it. I really do. I mean, he never fails me. Um, but best of all, you're set free. The truth sets you free. When you understand this gift, you are set free. So that's basically Thank you, Julie. Brent, come on up here. Brent, you're the next one. <laughs> feels, feels liberating. I can't tell you um, how many different dimensions and directions that my thought processing is going because I'm resonating everything with your message, which was most excellent, by the way. Thank you, uh, Pastor. With, uh, with what you said, Julie, and the experiences, some very common threads, and then some she's had something that I've not, and pastor in yours, some commonality and some, some distinct. 
I, I don't think today it's, well, I don't believe in coincidence. This is August 8th. I was baptized in water after my confession of faith on August 8th, uh, 1983. So that's 30-some years ago. I had, uh, so I thought I, I, I'd, I'd mention that. Prior to that time, I grew up around the Pentecostal realm, and my grandfather um, was a, a, a Pentecostal pastor, and I was freaked out at church. Uh, whoa. And, and I've seen the gifting, uh, not just the, the, the personal prayer um, speaking in tongues, but the gifting of, of the interpretation as a boy from way down below in a safe position, right? So as I, as I grew older and because of that, I think I gravitated toward a cessationist. Did I get that right? Cessationist. It was a church that didn't believe that today's uh, church act, uh, that the Holy Spirit needed to manifest like he did in the days of Pentecost. So they got up to a point but denied going any further. So yes, the baptism of water. Yes, the baptism uh, where the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and you're regenerated, you confess, and you're saved. All that happened to me in 1983. And um, I think intellectual pride was my problem. I was in a church that supported my, kind of provided me with a shield of, now I won't be around the scary stuff, right? But that in my heart didn't set right. Something had been planted in my heart that, that was working on me for years. So I'm going to flash forward to 2011, Faith Victory Church here in Columbus. Friend neighbor and pastor, Mark Owen. I was uh, in his congregation, and I don't know if any of you know what it's like to wrestle against the Spirit, but it's, it's not fun. And uh, I've been doing this for quite a while, and I could feel sitting there listening to his message and feeling an altar call, and something began, it was just such a, like a tractor beam on me, and said, this is the moment that you've been moving toward all your life. I just felt that in my heart. And I almost began sort of a trembling experience at that point. But I began to think, you know, you've called me and I know you've talked to me this way before and you've been wooing me to believe in you and to come forward and do more and accept, fully accept um, what you're trying for me, what you want for me. Not that I wasn't fully saved, but that I think God wanted more. And he's willing, always willing to give more praising. So at that point, there was the call, and I thought, I might not hear those words again. And so I, I walked up, and at this point, I won't call it, mine isn't a goosebump. I think this is a thunder and lightning moment for me. I definitely was on fire, tingling. And it was as though on these prison movies where they have the person on death row, and they say, you're going to walk the green mile. And I began to walk, and as I can almost remember dead man walking, dead man walking, dead man walking. That was sort of the feeling I got, because I, I was physically now, as surreal as it was, moving toward that moment. When I got there, the pastor looked at me. He brought his hand over me, and he said, um, all you have to do is an act of faith. And when I pray for you, and I put my hand on you, he said, all you have to do is an act of faith. All I want you to do is just open your mouth. That's it. You don't try to do anything. Just open your mouth. And at that point, I did what he said. And 
I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And it, it lasted uh, briefly, but I remember, again, it was just like I was watching it from above myself, almost like, a, like an outer body type of experience. So that would be the goosebumpy uh, part of it. But still, as Pastor said, the intellectual part, God doesn't want you to check that away. Since that moment, I've been given an insatiable appetite for God's Word. I went from, from that, barely reading in English, to uncovering it completely in the ancient languages, Hebrew and Greek. I can't get enough of it. I, that's, that's my life, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So he, he manifested in me this deep hunger for His Word. And over the years, as I've left a prayer journal for my daughter here, which about your daddy's weirdness, you know. Says, now it'll say right there, this is some strange stuff. So, you know, uh, but I've, I've written it down because I'm analytical. And it's like such a rather day. I, I'm in my office studying. I feel like I want to take a deep breath. And I do, but the reflection is, out comes this prayer, and I write down, it happened at this time, and I, I felt this way. And at one point, I felt like, well, how long is this going to last? Because, you know, part of you is listening to yourself pray. And, 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 but it's exactly as Julie said. I, don't, I think the thing is, it's really the being humble. Because I have given myself a way to be an instrument for prayer. I don't have to know what's being said. I can have faith that what's being said is right. But um, I'll leave with this. Over that time, I believe what God has communicated to me about his purpose is, you know, English is a corrupted language. German is a, it, mankind has tampered with those languages. And we set language rules and syntax and have dictionaries and invent foul words that God never intended for us to speak and have the meanings for in the book of Genesis, it says, God said, seven times it says, God said. And when he said, things happened. And he created us in his image. And we have that power. And when we speak, things happen. If we want things to happen God's way, we need a God language. And I believe that's what speaking in tongues is, whether we understand it or not. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, Julie. And I will say, you know, for me in closing this down here in a minute, that um, there was an experience in our lives just recently where we, uh, you know, had some things happen with, uh, with my younger son, Drew. And it just, it brought such, um, it was such a issue of duress that, man, I, I was getting up at five o'clock in the morning and praying for an hour in tongues and just bombarding heaven in tongues. And, and within a week, bam, there was something radical that happened in his life. And it was the day that Eric Burton came. And as a matter of fact, um, I'll just give you a little bit of uh, a history on that just to show you how the Lord operates through this. So I was getting up in the morning. I was just, uh, just bombarding heaven, just, just praying in tongues for an hour straight. And um, after this, this situation occurred, I was very distressed, and um, um, I'd arranged already to have a meeting with Erica. We were just going to get together and talk about ministry and get together and, 
you know, have fellowship as brothers. And I almost called him and to reschedule because I was, I was very upset. And I, I'm like, nah, today's not the day. But the Holy Spirit prompted me to go anyway. And it was then that we set the time for him to come and speak to our church the following Sunday. And on that Sunday, something broke in Drew. Something broke in him. And um, he's been different ever since. And that was just, I have to attribute that to the fact that I just would not let go of the horns of the altar. Just went to war for my son and uh, was doing it in tongues because I didn't feel like that English was sufficient in that situation. And it broke things. It broke things in our home. So, you know, I always believe that the, the Lord gives signs following the proclamation of the word. But one of the things that I've always been concerned about and seen abuses of in the church, now I'm about to close here, so bear with me for these next couple of minutes. I, because of the abuses that I have seen where people try to manipulate this whole thing and try to, try to, try to manipulate people into having some sort of pseudo-experience, um, I've never been someone who wants to do that. So I'm not going to embarrass anybody. However, I do want to tell you, if you have not received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and you want to, then I'm very happy to pray over you and lay hands on you. After service, we're going to close it down. If you want to meet me in the side room right here, we'll have a little time of prayer and you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. However, having said that, you don't have to have somebody lay, lay hands on you when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't. I've had people lay hands on me before and nothing happened, probably because of my intellect getting in the way and not letting it happen, maybe. But uh, there's people that, that I know that they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the room and, and nobody laid hands on them. They just prayed to receive. Well, Tracy was one of them. You, you heard Tracy's testimony. He was in his room by himself. Nobody laid hands on him. He just prayed, believed he received, and received it. Okay, so you, you don't have to pray with me today in order to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You just pray, believe you receive, and then exercise the unction that the Holy Spirit places in you. But if you want somebody to lay hands on you today, I'm very willing and open to stay a little bit after service. You can meet me in this room right here. Be happy to pray for you. Uh, but it doesn't require that, okay? Uh, but the, one, the last thing that I want to say is that, you know, again, what is the purpose, the reason, the thing that I might expect to, to see different in my life as a result of this. More victory over sin could be one. Uh, more power in the ability to operate in the prophetic or gifts of the Holy Spirit, things of that nature, for the building up of your own self and for the benefit of other people. So praying in the Holy Spirit on a regular basis builds yourself up in a way that that just going to church doesn't, although, believe me, I'm, you know me, I'm a big proponent of attending church on a regular basis. I'm a big proponent of reading your Bible on a regular basis. But how many of you had the experience, you read the Bible and you start reading and you're like, I, I, somehow that's not resonating with me. It's not getting past my intellect somehow. I'm not, I don't, I don't know why I'm not resonating with this. And sometimes when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Bible comes alive to you. So that's another reason, okay? So I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to close down our service, but if there's anybody that has not experienced that and you want to, meet me in the side room and I'll pray for you, or you can go home and pray yourself, okay? Stand with me if you will. 
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.